Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. Galatians 1, verse 6. The Apostle Paul writes, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we are anticipating the Spirit's work in our midst this morning. Lord, you, you have led us in this time of worship. We thank you for the team, and for the vocalists and the, the instrumentalists this morning who led us into the presence of God so beautifully. Where we could worship, we could express our, uh, our emotional love for God through these songs. And have these songs teach us more about grace And living a life that pleases God. And now this text before us. It just. It's permeated with good news. And the gospel message. And so I pray Father that we might receive. Whatever it is that you have prepared for us in advance. Help us to be open hearted and open minded. As we read the text this morning. And receive from your spirit the teaching that you bring. And we'd like to pray for Mike and Mary, especially Mary and her family, Mike's family, for Mary herself. No need to pray for Mike anymore because he's with you rejoicing in heaven. And we're grateful for that. But we pray for those who have been left behind and the hole, the deep hole that that leaves in their lives. I just know that the deep love that Mike and Mary shared together in their short marriage God, it's been deep, it's been rich. They've had so much fun together. And now Mike is gone. So there's going to be a lot of adjustment that has to take place in her life. And in Mike's family, which is large, and Mary's too, Mike Mike has played a, a big role in that. And so we pray for each one of them that you would pour out your grace and favor upon them. And especially today, in these very tender Hours following Mike's death, we pray, especially for Mary. Oh God, be her great shepherd. Lead her beside quiet waters. Lead her into green pastures. Feed her heart and her soul from from the depths of your grace and your riches in heaven. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it really is a tremendous privilege to be a pastor. And I don't, I don't ever approach that lightly. But there are times when it's really hard. 
And this is one of those moments. Talking about this guy and his life and now his death. But we have the joy, deep-seated, deep-rooted joy and hope of heaven and the resurrection. Amen? Last week I read an article about a, a marketing campaign to try and convince communist rebel guerrillas in Colombia, South America, to demobilize and re-enter society. So at first they ran a series of radio ads that featured the testimonials of former rebels. However, they used professional actors to read the testimonies on air, and that didn't work very well at all. A couple years later, they, they tried a different approach, and that campaign was successful in getting 311 of these rebels to demobilize. A couple years after that, in 2012, they ran what they called Operation Bethlehem. So they found a number of, of jungle paths where the guerrillas would crisscross to get from one place to the other through the jungle. And they set up these large skylights, huge spotlights that were connected to motion sensors and also an audio uh, message that would come on. And so as these gorillas were crisscrossing through the, through the jungle during Operation Bethlehem, they would trip the motion sensors and this huge beam of light would shine up into the sky and the message would come from the trees which said, this Christmas, follow the light that will guide you and your family to freedom. <laughs> and I thought, you know what? That's a, that's a pretty good picture of the gospel. That's a pretty good picture of the grace of God. You know, you're out in the jungle. You're, you're completely cut off from the presence of God. You, you expect to be left alone in your rebellion when all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes this invitation. Come on home. Drop your weapons. Leave the jungle. Walk to your father's house where you belong. Isn't that a picture of the gospel? Sure it is. Well, you have to have a little bit of imagination, and mine's pretty wild, but to me, that's a brilliant illustration of the gospel of grace. And that's what this letter to the churches in Galatia is all about. The underlying truth of those five verses that we read is simple. The underlying truth of, of verses 6 through 10 is, is really simple, and it's this. There is no other gospel than the gospel presented here. There isn't one. Another gospel is not another gospel. It is no gospel. Because to, to, to change the good news, even the smallest amount, is to lose it so completely that the new teaching has no right to be called gospel. Does that make sense? Yeah. And from the underlying truth of verse 6, that there is no other gospel, come three really important statements. First of all, there is no other gospel, so it's always astonishing to witness people turning away from it. Let's look again at Galatians 1.6. Paul says, I'm, I'm astonished. 
that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So anytime you change the gospel, even a little bit, Scripture calls it a distortion of the gospel. In light of all that Jesus has done, Paul is exceedingly astonished that anyone would so quickly transfer their allegiance, especially to something that cannot save and that cannot rescue people from sin and death. I mean, in grace, the Father sent His Son. In grace, He's called us to Himself. In grace, He offers repentance as a gift. In in grace, He offers faith as a gift. In grace, we are redeemed. In grace, we are justified. It's all of grace. And it's all of God. There's nothing that we do. And so it's always astonishing. It's always astonishing to see people turn away from this gospel that is full of hope and grace and peace and joy. It's astonishing. But that's exactly what some of these Galatians were doing. They were actually deserting this life-changing, culture-shaping, mind-bending gospel of grace. And, and in its place, they were exchanging it for a confusing, complicated, destructive, dangerous gospel of works. A gospel of human effort. A gospel that is really no gospel at all. And when we do that, this... This is what it ends up looking like. We need help, right? We need lots of help. <laughs> and whenever I need help like that, I call Pete Geats. 519-969. Pete, I need help. <laughs> Come and bail me out again. <laughs> the point is, you can't do it yourself. That's why God sent His Son, Jesus, who did it for us. There is no other gospel. Salvation is by grace alone, and there are no do-it-yourself options available. Remember that quote by Martin Luther from last week? To be convinced in our hearts that we have forgiveness of sins and peace with God by grace alone is the hardest thing. So what you're saying? There's nothing I can do to get this? That's exactly what we're saying. There's nothing you can do to get this. It's a gift. Grace alone for salvation with no human effort added. It's really a hard thing. It's hard to understand. It's hard for people to accept. It's hard to believe. It's hard to receive. But it's true. writer by the name of John Zoll tells a story of a friend of his who was a, the owner of a, a very high-end department store in their city uh, who gave John 
uh, and his wife a gift certificate. And John says, when I, when I went to use the gift certificate, he met me at the store, and he walked with me as I selected a sports coat, a dress shirt, and a, pair of, uh, a new pair of shoes. He said, I was sure to look at the price tag on the sly because I wanted to make sure that I would overshoot the gift certificate and make sure that there was some cash in the cash register uh, just to express my gratitude to my friend. Well, when John got to the cash register, he just automatically took out his credit card But the clerk placed the gift certificate in front of him and said, well, sir, it looks like you've only spent a little more than half of your credit with us. (laughs) And John was shocked. Then he realized that they only charged him half of the ticket price of each item. So a couple weeks later, John took his wife into the store, determined to overspend the gift certificate that he was given. So, And his wife was gleefully in favor of this. Uh, so off they went, and, and they accumulated a great big armload of, of clothing and accessories. So, so this ought to do it. Uh, this time, uh, the, John said, I, I handed our gift, the gift certificate, got my wallet out again, and he took the gift certificate and started entering all the purchases into the register. And finally, when the bags were full, he, full, he turned to us and said, you're not going to believe this, but I've, I've rung everything up, and the total comes to exactly zero. And John said, we started protesting. That can't be right. The total should be well above what was left on our gift certificate. And the guy chuckled. I don't think you understand how this gift certificate works. No matter what you spend, the total will always be zero. So in his attempt to buy his way out of indebtedness to his friend, John had completely missed the value of the gift. And by turning to a different gospel, by trying to work our way to salvation, by trying to pay God back with all the good things we do, we're really turning to a different gospel. By adding human effort to the gospel of grace for salvation, you actually, Paul says, you desert the Father who called you by grace alone to faith alone in Christ alone. And so it's always astonishing to witness people turning away from the riches of God's grace in Christ. There's a second important statement that comes from the underlying truth of verse 6. There is no other gospel. So it's always heartbreaking to know that a curse awaits those who turn away from it. Verse 8 goes on to say, But even if an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Anathema is the Greek word. Let him be cut off from Christ, is what he's saying. As we've said before, now I say again, in case you missed it the first time, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So, here he is again using such strong language that us polite Canadians wouldn't be caught dead saying in in polite conversation. I mean, who says that? Not Canadians. 
maybe north of the border, (laughs) Detroit's north, they might say that. But, But we're just, we're so polite, we would never do that, would we? The good news of justification by grace alone is the only gospel there is. Paul is just trying to drive this home. And anyone who says anything different, doesn't, Paul doesn't care who it is, deserves to go to hell. Deserves to be cut off from Christ. Deserves to be accursed. Deserves to be anathema. That's what they, that's what they get. There is no other gospel. There never has been another gospel. There never will be another gospel. So, so what do we say then to people who say to us, well, all roads lead to heaven. What do we say to people who say, you know, all religions are the same. We all worship the same God. What do we say to people who say, it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you're sincere, you'll get to heaven. I think we would say, that's another gospel. Right? So, what then would we say to some of our liturgical friends who teach that salvation is actually attained through baptism and good works? And that it's maintained by good works and participation in the sacraments. And if that salvation is lost for any reason, it can be restored by... uh, a sacrament called penance that can only be administered by an ordained priest. What would we say to them? I think we should say that's another gospel. Not trying to pick on our liturgical church friends. So let's say what would we, uh, what would we say to an ultra-conservative born-again Christian friend who believes with all their heart that in order to be saved, you, you must not drink, you must not chew, and you must not go with girls who do. You can't go to movies. You can't play billiards. You can't be involved in mixed bathing. And definitely no two-piece bathing suits. And you cannot use playing cards if you want to be saved. What do we say to them? That's another gospel. And believe me, there are people who who, who teach that. Ah! No wonder the world thinks we're freakish people. A little more subtle, but what would we say to people who think we are saved by a strong belief and trust in God, and also by a life of complete surrender that is evidenced by all the good works we do for Jesus. That sounds a little better, doesn't it? That's still another gospel. It's another gospel. Because those things have nothing to do with salvation. They may impact our life of holiness once we come to faith in Jesus Christ. They might impact sanctification, but they have nothing to do with salvation. By grace alone, 
through faith alone in Christ alone. That's another gospel. Paul says, even if an angel showed up at the gathering next Sunday and taught that salvation was by good works or anything else except faith alone in Christ alone, you kick him to the curb. Let him be anathema. Let him be accursed. Let him be cut off from Christ. We'd never do that in Canada. Paul says, you better. You better do that. The, the, the health and, and, and prosperity of the church of Jesus Christ depends upon it. We need to protect the church from this kind of false teaching. And it's out there. I just wrote an article and submitted it yesterday on this very thing. I mean, it's heartbreaking to know that God's curse awaits those who turn away from this gospel of grace. That, that ought to set us to tremoring a little bit, trembling. God's curse awaits those who turn away from this gospel of grace. Let him be accursed. Strong words. Well, we said earlier that the underlying truth of this entire passage is that there is no other gospel. So here's the third important statement that comes from this truth. There is no other gospel. So it's always better to serve Christ than to please people. Can I get an amen on that one? <laughs> You're like, Come on, tell me how to do this, Pastor. Galatians 1.10, Paul says, For I'm... Am I now seeking the approval of man? Not with what he's just said. I assure you. Nobody will talk like that and talk about you know, people being accursed or let them be anathema if they're trying to win favor with people. But he puts the question out there. Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ because the two are mutually exclusive. You can't be a pleaser of people and a pleaser of God. You can't serve man and serve God at the same time, in, the, in this respect at least. Paul was one of those rare individuals who did not live to please anyone except God. Why? Because he lived according to the gospel. And the gospel sets us free. The gospel liberates us so that we don't have to worry about what every Tom, Dick, and Sally thinks about us. When, when you've been set free by the gospel of grace and you know that you've been saved by grace and you live by grace and you're, you're, you're going you're gonna to mess up royally from time to time, but that's okay because God's grace is sufficient to meet every need in our lives, then we don't have to worry about what everybody else thinks. To be sure, there was a time when, when uh, the most important thing in life for Paul was what other people think. He says so at the end of verse 10. He says, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So there was a time when, when he lived and worked to please people. When he was a Pharisee. When he was still outside of faith in Christ. Before he came to Christ. Back when he was still a Pharisee, Paul did everything in his strength, everything in his power to keep up appearances and please as many people as possible. Some of you are going, I know what that's like. He put his confidence in his circumcision, his ethnicity, his, his family background, his religious connections, and most of all, in his zeal for keeping the law of God. And we'd say, well, pff, nobody can be saved like that. Of course not. 
But then it went, then again, we turn around and put our confidence in, in things like church attendance and water baptism and church membership and daily devotions and especially, especially the number of minutes that we spend in prayer each day. Check, check, check. We've got our list, right? There's the Old Testament list over there, you know, circumcision, the law, Pharisees, all that stuff. And then we've got our own little list over here. And we put our confidence in those things. Have daily devotions, spent six and a half minutes in prayer today, I'm good to go. God's happy with me. Let's do it. But I have a sneaking suspicion that that is living by another gospel. Which is really no gospel at all. We need to put our trust and confidence in Jesus not in what we do for Him. We need to put our faith in Jesus, not in these activities that have been raised to a level of righteousness. We have to put our trust in Jesus Christ, period. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So, Paul put his faith fully in Christ. He no longer cared about what other people thought of him. He stopped living for his own publicity and started living for God's pleasure, which raises another question, doesn't it? Who are you trying to please? For whose pleasure are you living? If we're living for a bigger paycheck, different house, newer car, if that's our goal, if that's our focus, then maybe... We're living by some distorted gospel. With reference to verse 10, uh, John Piper has this to say. It's a great quote. The most thrilling implication of verse 10 for me personally is this. The absoluteness of Christ's lordship is gloriously liberating. It frees me from having to worry about pleasing one person here and another person there. It brings unity and integrity to my life. When you live to please only one person, everything you do is integrated Because it relates to that one person. Shall I go to this movie, read this book, make this purchase, take this job, go out on this date, marry this person, whatever. What a freeing thing it is to know that there is one person who is to be pleased in every decision of life. Jesus. Sometimes pleasing him will please others. Sometimes it won't, and that will hurt. But the deep joy of a single-minded life is worth it all. Would you agree? And then you go to a verse like Hebrews 13.9 and read, Your hearts should be strengthened by God's grace, not by obeying rules. Whoa! All the kids are writing that reference down. <laughs> I don't have to obey the rules anymore, Mom! My heart's supposed to be strengthened by God's grace. Obviously a misapplication of the verse. But let's apply it correctly this morning. Let's Let's soak in that verse and let our hearts be strengthened by the grace of God and don't be swayed into thinking that we somehow gain favor with God or gain merit with God or that we can add to our salvation one iota by obeying the rules and following the traditions that the evangelical church has established for us. Or any other church for that matter. 
Friends, Jesus doesn't say, come to me, all you who are perfect and sinless. Just the opposite, right? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Not, I will give you another list. (laughs) I will give you rest. You know, recovering Pharisees, we talked about what that is last week. A recovering Pharisee is somebody who's lived in a religious system their entire life, and that religious system is, is, is completely given to keeping the rules and regulations and following those, checking it off and, you know, making your checks and checking it twice to make sure and all that stuff, and you're just, you know, you live in fear that you've somehow missed something along the way. Recovering Pharisees often come to a church like ours heavy laden. They're, they're burdened with all the stuff that they think they have to do for God to be happy with them. Some religions, some churches, some denominations, and even some families, mostly shame-based families, they're not grace-based or they wouldn't do it, but they're shame-based. Shame on you if you don't do it. Shame on you if you don't. Shame on you. If... They, they lay such heavy burdens on people. So that when they come across the teaching of grace alone, they say, ah, that can't be. They're recovering Pharisees, you see. Jesus never burdens us. He always sets us free by His grace. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And God's promise has no, there's no hidden language, there's no footnote, there's no caveat, there's no addendum to grace alone. It just is. It is what it is. It's grace alone, and it's available to all. Christian life is not a competition, it's not a contest, but many of us live that way. Pastors are the worst. I, I, I hate going to pastor's conferences for the most part. And I've said this before publicly, but you know the first question that, that comes up when you meet a new pastor? Hi, I'm Garth Lee. And I'm so... What is it, Sean? How big is your church? It's like, the, I, for real? This is a competition? I didn't know that. I thought we were kind of all playing for the same team. Oh, apparently not. We're in competition with each other. That's sick. That's crazy. The Christian life is not a competition. It's not a contest. It's not a performance. It's not a show. So relax. Relax. And enjoy the grace of God. Wow. Remember grace and peace? Remember our friends from last week? Grace and peace? What do I get out of this? What's in it for me? Okay, what's the bottom line here? Give me the takeaway. What's what's the conclusion? Grace and peace. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Is that enough? (laughs) It's all you get.
Grace and peace. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, this morning, we, we say that we understand the gospel. It declares us to be a whole lot worse off than we can imagine, and certainly a whole lot worse than what we want to acknowledge. We needed a substitute, not a model. We needed you to live out a perfect life of obedience for us. We needed you to fulfill all the demands of the law. And you did that perfectly for us. And now you invite us to rest. We needed you to take our place upon the cross. Taking the punishment we deserve for all the ways that we fall short especially when we turn to a different gospel and begin to spurn the grace through which you called us. Thank you for taking our place. You did that so perfectly. Lord, we even needed you to give us the faith by which we could receive this free and full justification by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. And you've done this perfectly. From beginning to end, salvation is of the Lord. And so we pray this morning, just as the disciples prayed the Lord's Prayer together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, say it with me, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.